MTV Breaks is a platform that helps young people break into creative industry careers because we know how hard it can be to get your foot in the door. This podcast was recorded live at MTV Music Week in Plymouth, where we hosted four days of MTV Breaks career panel talks. Whether you're interested in building your own brand and social media following from scratch or leading the creative of a signature television show, our creative industry insiders are here to help as they reveal their top tips on how to play the game, get the edge and bag that dream career. It was two in the morning, I had been recording for 14 hours straight and I was dying inside and I pinged off my headphones into my own eye. My eyes were like streaming and I got a black eye the next day. Oh and I was sat there like, I need to get it done, I need to get it done. I was like, hi, welcome to BBC Music Introducing! <laughs> and it was the worst, but yeah, you graft because you love it. Join me, Tania Taylor, as I sit down with Head of TV and Visual at Your Army, Amy Collins, Vice President and Brand Lead of MTV UK, Kelly Bradshaw, Island Records TV and Radio Promotions Manager, Robin Peters, and BBC Music presenter, Sarah Gosling, who are here to tell us how they became powerhouses in their fields. Welcome to day two of MTV Music Week in Plymouth. I'm Tania Taylor, I'm your host, if you didn't guess. Uh, I'm a DJ and presenter, of course, for MTV and KISS. Uh, and welcome to the Boss Women panel. I was really excited to know that I was going to be hosting this because I don't know about you, but I'm all about women supporting women and highlighting the amazing things that women in the music industry do because I feel like we don't get enough credit. So, panel, would you like to introduce yourself? Hiya, um, I'm Amy Collins and I'm Head of TV and Visual at Your Army and also Flex co-founder. Hiya, I'm Robin Peters and I do TV and radio promotions at Island Records Universal Music. Hi, I'm Kelly Bradshaw. I'm the Vice President and Brand Lead for uh, MTV in the UK and Northern Eastern Europe. Hello, I'm Sarah Gosling. I present BBC Music Introducing in Devon and Cornwall, the Radio 1 Mindfulness Mixes, and I write culture stuff for The Guardian. Can we have a round of applause for the strong panel, please? Yes. Uh, Amy, we're going to start with you. Can you describe how you ended up getting into music TV promotion? Um, yeah, so I applied for every internship under the sun when I moved to London. Um, and I think I found my first internship on like a music jobs website and it was at this heritage company called Lander PR. Um, it was a guy called Judd Lander who was like a legend in the game. He used to be head of promotions at Warner a long time ago. Um, so I did heritage acts um, like George Benson, Dionne Warwick um, and I was looking after Brandy, R&B legend, oh Brandy, my gosh. who is my favourite person ever. Um, I was looking after her and I was taking her into one extra and I met my boss now, Christian, and he was looking after Sam Smith, like super, super early on. And he was going in for an interview with, I think it was Hugh Stevens. And Brandy and Sam kind of knew what each other were doing. And Sam was a massive fan. And I started talking to Christian. I was like, oh, where do you work? And he said, oh, your army. I said, OK, like, who do you look after? And he was like, oh, Disclosure, London Grammar, Childish Gambino, Frank Ocean. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> oh, my God, my whole iTunes playlist, not Spotify at the time. Um, and so I begged him for a job for six months. I just emailed him over and over again. And I think by the end of it, he was like, OK, she's a plugger. Um, and I've been there for almost six years now. I think that's what you have to do. You have to be yeah. shameless. Like, you literally have to be like, please hire me. If you want something, yeah. go for Also, with our job, it's like pestering nicely, you know? So I think he was like, okay, she's polite, but she, she'll get it done. So, yeah, that's how it kind of happened. I love that. Uh, Robin, what led you to music promotion? Can you describe your favourite part of your job at Island Records? Yeah, I mean, similar sort of story to you. So I went to university and I was studying music management, branding and promotion. Um, and still, I was quite like unsure where 
I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Um, and then one of my friends from uni got an internship at Warner Brothers. And I was like, oh my God, how did you get this? Like, please help me. Um, and he was like, okay, fine. I'm going to give you the email address for someone in HR. Don't say you got it from me. So I, was <laughs> I like, love that. Okay, cool. So I started emailing this poor lady called Ray Pope, um, who in, I think she, yeah, looked after most of like the internships, assistant roles, um, like the yeah, entry level roles. Um, and I emailed her and she never emailed me back and I waited like two or three days and then I just hounded her and then I started calling reception. Oh my God, you were, <laughs> one, of, you were one of them. I started calling reception and then she responded to me and was like, oh, um, okay, <laughs> like come in and I'll meet you. And I went in and I met her for like half an hour and then she was like, okay, I think I've got something for you. Um, and I started working in marketing and then I went for a, a job, like a full-time job as an assistant in marketing. And um, I remember I had to do a presentation and I went into the room and I was like really nervous. And I think I spoke for about two or three minutes and the guy was just like, yeah, just stop. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he was like, no, like you're not going to get this job. You're not going to work in marketing. You need to take a different route. And I was like, okay, what, what sort of route? And he was like, you're going to be a plugger. And I was like, oh, what, does, what is that? Um, and then I think about three to six months later, I got a call from someone at Universal and there was like, oh, there's a TV promotions role. Um, and I went for that. And then I started working in radio as well. So I do both. Um, and the best part about my job, probably just the acts that you get to work. Um, it's just so varied. Anything from like pop, um, urban, um, indie. It's just so like, yeah, so varied. Um, the people that you get to meet and yeah, just... Yeah, all of it, really. For those that don't know, which acts do you look after? Who do you um, get to work with every day? Day-to-day, uh, -day we look after um, domestically... God, I've got a mind block now. Um, Mumford, um, Disclosure, um, Dizzy Rascal, Gigs, Sean Paul... Um, I'll just, yeah, just I mean, that's, that's just a few. Just a few legends, and then everyone. And we look after the US as well, so that we've got a label in the US called Republic Records, and they've got, like, Drake, Nicki Minaj, uh, Post Malone. Um, yeah, loads of different people. So, yeah. Uh, Kelly, what do you love about working in programming? Um, for me, I think it's the, the mix of kind of the art and the science. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, Programming, it, it's not, um, I think when you first start out, you think, oh, I, I've got a brilliant idea, I've got a brilliant idea, you know, and, and that's fine because innovation and creativity and the idea itself is really, really important, but it does need to be sort of tempered and balanced with um, insight and data. I think, you know, being able to spot trends and being ahead of the kind of curve and, and knowing that you're making something, not for yourself, but to be enjoyed by the masses. So for me, it's really about that kind of wonderful balance of, of both. I'm a bit of a data geek, but I have that kind of creative side as well. So for me, it's the perfect job. Perfect. I think it's a perfect job. Uh, Sarah, how did you become a BBC Music presenter? Can you tell us? Uh, totally accidentally. Um, so I did English as a degree up in London and then I moved back down here because my boyfriend still had a year left of his degree here and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm trying to do music journalism. I was like writing bits for NME at the time and I moved home because I was like, it's cheap, firstly, uh, you all know. And um, then I was like trying to do sort of freelance bits and plugging away and I was a librarian at the time. and. Um, 
Then my boyfriend did a session. He's in loads of bands. He did a session for BBC Introducing in Devon, as it was at the time. And he was like, did you even know this was a thing? I was like, I, I had no idea at all. And um, he had a really nice time. was like, email the presenter. He's wicked, who was James Santa at the time. And I was like, hi, I love music. I love music journalism. I'm a good writer. I've written for these places. I don't know if you need a writer at all. But he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really need a writer. Come in. We'll have a coffee a job had come up. The first time literally ever that a supplementary role was added to introducing. It was the first round of team assistance. And I got the job after three months of volunteering because you always got to volunteer. I'm sure you guys always say exactly the same. Free work, unfortunately, if you actually like your job. Um, and so, yeah, so I was team assistant for there and Cornwall for two years. And, like, my presenter at the time, James, he was amazing. And he was, like nurturing me and making me a presenter as we were going along like oh why don't you do the session interviews now why don't you uh, go do that and then he left to go work at radio 2 on the breakfast show and i got the job i did loads of demos got the job and it's all it just sort of carried on from there really i i did well enough with the devon show that they then gave me cornwall so i've now got the biggest patch apart from wales which is a country so i feel all right about that <laughs> um, and then i just kind of kept doing demos because as you guys know as well, you can't rest on your laurels. No. Like, yeah, I've got this show, but what if this show goes to pot? I need to have a backup plan. And so you've got to keep doing demos and keep updating everything you're doing and keep listening back to yourself and making notes and making sure you're better. And so I got an award, which was really nice. And because of that, I then got the Radio 1 show as well. What was the award? It was uh, it's called a Gillard. Uh, it's the Local Radio Awards. It was Best Newcomer. Amazing. So, yeah, I got that, and it was weird. It, <laughs> it hasn't good. been an easy journey for you, though, because I know, like, being a yeah. presenter as well, you tell people your journey, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's easy, but that's, like, the short of kind of how yeah, you got there. Yeah, this is the thing. So, uh, being a presenter is difficult, and you know this, because you're the content. Yeah. That's what is really weird. Like, we're not making anything. You guys have got your artists you look after. You get to, like, hide, whereas if we're having a bad day, we've still got to go on air and be like, hi. Um, Sun shining. Yeah, oh my God. Such a weird thing. So I was having to pre-record a show last week, I think it was, and it was two in the morning. I had been recording for 14 hours straight and I was dying inside. And I pinged off my headphones into my own eye. My eyes were like streaming. I got a black eye the next day. Oh and I was sat there like, I need to get it done. I need to get it done. I was like, hi, welcome to BBC Music Introducing. <laughs> and it was the worst. But yeah, you graft because you love it. I love it. Great. You did a show with one eye. Yeah. I've got to try that. It's, I wouldn't recommend. It's not a good look. <laughs> but radio, so they can't see you. I love that. Robin, what's the most challenging aspect about artist promotion at a major label? I think it's really managing the expectations of the artists and managers. So you get some managers that are really new um, to managing an artist and they come in and obviously they see the infrastructure of a massive label um, and working at Universal and the level of expectations very high from the off. So trying to like explain, you know, it's development, it's, you know, there's key, like Amy was saying, there's key points in a campaign um, where you're going for things and they just walk in like, oh, so when are we get to Radio 1? You're like, you've never been played on Radio 1, you're not going to get added. <laughs> so it's like explaining to them the process, how it works, um, while also still obviously seeming really enthusiastic about the campaign. Um, and then when you kind of do that, then it's, you know, you work really well with an artist and a manager and you see, you know, those pivotal moments where, you know, they're really, like, progressing. Um, so I think, yeah, just, like, managing expectations um, while still, you know, being really, you know, excited about the campaign and where it's going to go. 
So would you say that's really important for yourself and everybody else at the label to have great, great relationship with the management teams? Yeah, 100%. Like with the US, because the artists obviously are based there and their main contact is the US label, there's like a breakdown of communication. Okay. So you've actually got members of staff in international marketing that are there to like bridge that relationship. Um, and, you know, an artist like, you know, Post Malone this year, he'll only be in for Reading and Leeds. So, you know, we have to travel to the festival then to, like, meet him, meet the management team, have conversations, try and persuade him to come in and do promo, um, which they never do. They're like, really? Yeah, yeah. But they must love no, doing promo it because just, it's for it, their album it, or you'd single. You'd be so surprised. One of the biggest challenges, I think anyone sitting here that works in promo will say, it's getting an artist to do promo or to turn up, or to wake up. That is insane. So, but you get some artists that absolutely love it, and okay. they're just like, oh, yeah, man, I just want to promote my record. And, da, da, da. and then you get someone else, I'll be like, so, gigs, promo. Nah, nah, nah. I'm like, no? Do you think that's because we're in a streaming world now? Than, no. Than five years ago, where they no. had to get up and get their music out there. Gigs never done promo. Oh, right. He's okay. like, I'm not, I'm not here for that. He's like, a lot of artists are just like, I just... A lot of artists actually don't really want to be famous. I know it sounds really ironic, but they actually don't want to be front and centre. They just want to release their music. They want people to have access to it, but they actually don't want to be there constantly pushing it. They just see it as like, oh, you know, I'm trying to get people to buy my music. It's really cringe. Right. Okay. Whereas we're like, no, we're record to. label. <laughs> we need to sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, that's another challenge, getting artists to do promo. Getting them out of bed in the yeah. morning. Kelly, what do you think were the most useful skills that you learned in past roles that helped you to get to where you are today? It's really, really important uh, when you're starting out to um, volunteer. Put your hands up. Even if you don't know that you can do anything, just volunteer and put your hands up for absolutely everything. I think it's really important to try everything very early on in your career. So don't be too picky. Don't think, no, this is my path and this is the path that I'm walking. Because you never know what a certain opportunity is, is going to kind of lead to and you, and, and, until you do it, until you give it a go. And so it's quite uh, advisable to try and walk different paths and just keep that breadth of experience, especially as the industry is kind of diversifying and consolidating. I think that's really, really key to be sort of a multifaceted kind of player. Um, in terms of kind of the three things that I sort of think are important that I've sort of learned really is um, about being passionate you know, your, your passion shines through, particularly very early on in your career. Uh, you need to be enthusiastic. You need to show up. You need to have an opinion. And don't be afraid to um, throw your opinion in because people want to hear it. So passion gets you so far very early on in your career. And then beyond that, I think it's, it's really important to be able to have a huge capacity. I think pace is really, really important. It's an ever-changing, fast-paced music business that we're all kind of in. And, uh, and broader kind of creative industries. And I think y y you need to be able to kind of move quite quickly through them. So it, it's, it's best not to try and be a perfectionist. You need to have attention to detail, but, but you need to be able to have a capacity to move quickly through things. And then the flip side of that is obviously having some grit and some resilience. You know, there will be setbacks in your career. Things will not go to plan. Things will go wrong. Um, but for me, I think it's the, the key learning has been understanding that it's not really about success and failure. It is about how you deal with it and how you dust yourself off, learn from your mistakes, and then move on quite quickly and for the better. 
Just to go back to your first point, Kelly, of what you were saying about trying different roles, I always say fake it till you make it. Like, yep. I remember saying that I could do a live radio show and I couldn't, and I started Vince FM and they gave me the breakfast show and I remember they were like, yeah, guess, you're live at 7 a.m. And I was like, cool, great. And I literally just winged it and I had to like edit audio myself, but now I can do it. And if I said I couldn't have done it, I wouldn't be probably sitting here today. So I always say, I'm like, fake it till you make it, just lie and learn on the job. <laughs> Honestly, just oh, learn on the job. Exactly, I completely agree with that. And I think there's, you know, I'm still faking it till I make it. And everyone, you, you kind of realise as you get further up that everybody's faking it yeah. till they make it at yeah. every single level right to the top. So Always, definitely. always. Uh, Sarah, what's the one thing that you learned about presenting that no one told you at the start? That you go a bit mad. <laughs> and I mean that like, in the best way, because when you actually think about what radio presenting is, particularly in somewhere without a very big budget like local radio, you're sitting in a room for three hours talking to yourself, pretending there's someone else there. Yeah. That's what you're doing. In a soundproof room, <laughs> you're like dancing around like, this song's wicked, I'm having such a good time. And it's like, there's no one else in it. There's no one there. It's just really weird. Yeah. And everyone at home is like, she's having a wicked time. It's like, I am. <laughs> but I've also just been sat in silence for three minutes and then did that. And it's really weird when it you is. actually think about what you're doing. But I love it. I never expected to end up doing this like a lot of my friends who are presenters were always like I knew I was going to present I knew that this was what I wanted to do I wanted to talk to people and I was like I never wanted to talk to people because I'm quite good at that uh as soon as I said I was in radio everyone I know was like yeah of course you are it's a job where you talk I was like oh yeah that makes sense okay but um I don't know I think that's probably the biggest one is 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 that you are it's you're on your own for most of the time the best bit is when you're sitting talking to guests so yeah. like i do a thing on my show where i do a master class and i'll sit for an hour with someone who's really inspiring and like at the top of their game and we just talk about their entire life and it's amazing and that's i'd say the best bit and i, I think that connection you can get on there is a thing i didn't realize as well you can translate that to your audience yes yeah. yeah. it's the best what tips would you give to aspiring presenters Anybody that's here. Be self-aware. So many people are like, I'm wicked, I can do it. It's like, listen back to yourself. How long are your links? How like, tenuous is the anecdote you're telling, she says after just telling about six tenuous anecdotes in a row. <laughs> okay, it's all right, I'm not on air, it's fine. Um, I think that self-awareness is, is crucial. Like, I still listen back to each of my shows and make horrible notes. I make really like aggressive Worse. notes to myself. Like underline, like you're an idiot here, don't do this again. And it's mean and I don't know why I do it, but it works and then I don't do it again. So I think that's self-awareness because people who you are approaching to try and get them to give you airtime, they don't have a lot of time. And if you're making obvious mistakes, they're not gonna give you a second chance, basically. If you haven't edited your audio properly, if your levels are off, if you're rambling, she says right now, um, then I think that is like the crucial thing is you have to be self-aware and critical, really critical of yourself because if you don't do it, no one else is going to do it for you. Or you'll have a boss that sits there and snoops you. Do you have snoops? I, yeah. I hate snoops. Snoops are like where you sit with like your head program oh, director and they play, they, they'll pick a show. You yep. can't pick a show, because you'll know this, right? You'll, you'll know when you've had a good show. So I go, oh, let's listen to Saturday oh, at the one o'clock hour. And they'll go, no, we're gonna listen to Thursday at three. And yeah. you're like, oh. And you sit there and they literally pick at every 
single link. Do you find the, worst, the worst bit is that, that you're sitting there having to listen to yourself with someone sat there making notes going, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is it's the worst a nightmare. Thing. I always know <laughs> when a rubbish link is coming up because I'll, I, I will hear myself and I'm like, oh, that's yeah. why I made a mistake. I know it's coming, I know it's coming. But yeah, snoops are probably the yeah. worst thing. But yeah, it's always good to listen back to yourself and yeah. be critical. And a lot you of the old to. guard don't do it. And I think that's how... We're at a lucky time now where if you want to get into presenting, particularly as a woman, we've got the options to do it now. And a lot of stations are like, we need younger people, we need to be targeting young women and stuff. I know that that's why I've got more shows now. I'm aware of that. Doesn't mean I'm not prepared to take it on when I can do it. And the old guard don't tend to listen back. And if they're not representing what people need now, then we need to do that instead so we can take the opportunities. More opportunities for yeah. us, exactly. Robin, in the music industry as well, do you think there's still areas that need work on in terms of like equal female representation? I think just in general, it's a really male-dominated industry. Um, so regardless of like what the area is, um, there's always more, tends to be more men than women, especially in like um, high positions as well, like all the presidents of labels, bar one, um, at Universal are all run by men, whereas Dekar, they've got a female president. Um, but then, yeah, I think they're working on that, though. How important do you think it is for women to support women in the creative industries? Do you think it happens enough? Um, I think within the last couple of years, there's been so many different great, like, with, like, with what you're doing, there's so many, there's, like, Women in Music, um, that's an award ceremony every year which celebrates the women in the music industry, and that's a great event for all the women to go to, to kind of meet each other. Um, I know Cassandra Gracie was doing, like, breakfasts for, like, women, she works at Sony, um, she's, like, one of their directors, and she's really trying to push, you know, women supporting women. Um, I think loads of people are kind of, yeah, really feeding into it now and helping. Uh, Amy, tell us a bit about Flex, like why you founded it uh, and how, what it was like setting it up. So Flex is a networking event that I run with One Extra's Jam Supernova and it kind of started really organically. Jams and I used to just go for drinks and complain a lot about the men that we work with. Um, <laughs> and also we'd get people asking us for advice because it's really important in whatever job you do in whatever industry to have a good community around you and have people that want to support you and if you are faking it until you make it, you've got someone to ask if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and we've just got a really good group of friends. So we organised um, a little get-together with our friends, put some money behind the bar, um, and it was really fun. And from there, it just kind of kept on developing, and we now have nights seasonally. We've started a podcast called Flexcast, and um, it's just a great way to get people together, and anyone that's not in the industry but wants to be can come. You can just sign up and get to know people, and yeah, it's just, it's just a fun vibe, really. What challenges did you and Jam Supernova face when you first started it? Um, men complaining that they can't come was, <laughs> was the main thing. Well, why can't I come? And I was like, you can come if you want to. We're not saying you can't. Um, but to be honest with you, because we didn't kind of set goals or targets with like, we want to be, you know, doing this night with this amount of people, it didn't feel like a challenge. It just, it felt really, it felt really easy and it felt really natural, which is good when you're doing events because sometimes they can be a bit stressful. They can but, be stressful. Yeah, but it hasn't been, I mean, the last one was, um, but that's because we worked with a lot of brands. We did something with Smirnoff with the Equalizing Music. We did it with a couple of other female networks. So there was a lot of cooks. Um, and sometimes you just need to delegate a bit more. So it's, we're, we're learning, you know? We're still learning as we go along. 
Are you going to take the events like nationally? Because you're based in London right yeah. now. Yeah, so we're based in London, um, but we want to do Regi bangers like this today. Um, so we're hoping our next one's going to be in Bristol. So nice. we're going to start kind of like finding people in different areas and, and hopefully expand there. Because, yeah, we are very conscious that it is London-centric. But part of our pledge with Equalising Music with Smirnoff was to make sure that we could do another regional this year. So Bristol's the first stop and then probably Manchester. Love that. We'll be at those. Uh, Sarah, what are your thoughts on how women are represented in the music radio space? Are we seeing any changes? Yes, because particularly in the BBC, we've got a pledge for 50-50. And so every week we have to log our male to female split, basically, of tracks that we play. Same across TV and everything. And the data gets published, I think, this month. And so it's a big pledge and it's been increasing the amount... It's easier in playlisted shows. It's a lot easier because then you can pull in, you know, your Jess Glins, you can pull in your Dua Leapers. For introducing, it's really difficult because frustratingly, girls seem to still not think they're good enough and won't upload their tracks. Where guys have this inherent confidence, irrespective <laughs> of their actual abilities, uh, they just upload. It could be absolute tripe and they still do it. And you'll get like... <laughs> three tracks a month, every month. It's like, why are you here? Whereas girls will be like, oh, I don't know if it's good enough. Yeah, I don't know. And then you get one a year if you're lucky from them. And so I had a look the other day and it's one in 30 tracks on average I get in is from a woman. So That's I physically crazy. can't do 50-50. Yeah. And it frustrates me so much. And I feel like a broken record every show. I'm like, if you know a brilliant female artist, get them to upload because like all I want is to be promoting brilliant female artists because who we have are so fantastic like um this girl called emmy who's about to go absolutely huge rosie lowe's from our county um alice jemima who's on tour sophie ellis bex and everything like she's they're all so good and the ones we have because they've worked and they've honed it they're ready to go because they they want to get to that point before they're even, they're even upload so we have more successful female artists than male from here but we only get one in 30 tracks from a woman. So it's, it's really odd. And I mean, it's really hard because the radio space at the moment is really good for women, I would say. But we can only put up what we get. Yeah. Kelly, your influence over the MCV brand and programming is absolutely huge. What are your tips for climbing the career ladder? Um, for me, as you're kind of climbing the ladder, I think what's really important is that you build a strong network around you. Um, kind of early on in my career, I made sure I had a mentor um, who wasn't directly linked to what I was doing, but within the business. Um, so either an internal mentor or an external mentor who can kind of champion you and be a sounding board for kind of advice on how to do things. Um, so I, I definitely kind of recommend getting, getting a mentor. Networking, building relationships is key. You never know who's going to be... Uh, your new boss, who's gonna, what, what opportunities they're going to lead to, where they're going to go next and what that might mean. So it's really good to build relationships and, and connect with as many people as possible. I think the key thing for me is to um, not be so much of a perfectionist. And I think I'm a bit further on in my career now, I'm a bit older than you guys. Um, and very early on in my career, I was very hard on myself. I was very much a perfectionist, would not... Uh, show up or put myself forward for things unless they were absolutely perfect um, in case I got uh, a question or thrown that I couldn't really answer. And, and you realise over time that, you know, that's not the key ingredients of success. It's, it's 
throw yourself in there, have a go, and you know things might go well and things might go wrong, and that's fine, and that's how men behave. You know, they just say it, they just do it, they just walk in. Yeah. Um, and as women, I think we need to um, do more of that um, because what could possibly go wrong? You know, it's it, even if things go wrong. It's how you kind of dust yourself off and, and, and just say, okay, that didn't go uh, well, but here's what I learned from it. Um, and, uh, and moving on from there, really. I think the, the final thing is really just about surrounding yourself with talented people. I think as you sort of progress up through the career, you know, I couldn't do what I'd do without having a, a brilliant sort of team around me. So I think advocating for people, champion people, surrounding yourself with really hugely talented people is, is, is important for building your success and kind of passing on the baton to other people. I've got a question for all of you now. Amy, we're going to start with you. How important is networking within your industry? It's essential, really. Um, kind of going on from what Kelly was saying, the industry that we work in is super, super small, and part of what Robin and I do is about the relationships that you have with people, getting to know them, and it's, it's difficult to break it and make it in, but once you're in, you can network, you can meet people, and if you go in and you just are open to saying hi and meeting someone, it can lead you to, to so many other avenues. So it, it's, it's pretty essential. What are your tips, though, for making connections? Because, like, say if you're at a networking event, I'm quite a confident person, but there's somebody that might be super talented and they're not confident to just go up to someone and talk to them and approach them. What are your tips for making connections? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of similar. I chat a lot. Um, <laughs> That's what we like. And, it's, and it is difficult to just go and approach someone and say hi, and you do get those nerves ahead of it. But what I did, which is um, maybe a little bit weird, is before I used to go to events or gigs, I would find out who the manager is, find out who the agent is, find out who the promoter is, and I would sometimes have a little look on LinkedIn, see who the manager is, and I would go and I'd say, hi, I'm Amy from Your Army. I do this, or I'm really interested. I mean, people love talking about themselves. Yeah. So so if you can find an avenue in to ask them about what they do, their job, or you're a fan of the artist, just find a connection, find a link, and it will feel really fluid. Robin? How important is networking in your industry? Um, again, I mean, it's, it's so important. Like, for myself, I went to a theatre school um, between the ages of, I think it was, oh God, how old was I? Yeah, up until 16. And the amount of times I've gone into a meeting or I've gone to an event and I've seen someone from my school, either like Rita Ora, Jessie J. I mean, I work on Jessie J now. So like I that go to a radio with Jessie J and we went to school together and college. So it's, it's such a small world. And there was a time that I went into a room and there's a girl from my college who I didn't get along with oh. at college. And I walked in the room and she was like, if she's here, I'm not signing here. No way. Yeah. <sighs> they went to Warner's. Oh, yeah. Oh, my so God. I would say, it was that don't bad, upset guys. anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, I was at college. It was, it was young. Like 16. It's like, oh, but she's not things really do stick with you, and they carry on. Like, they, they don't leave. So, it's yeah, it's just always kind of like being respectful of people, um, being professional. And, yeah, like Amy was saying, go to events, like, approach people, like, find out, oh, okay, cool, this person's doing something that I might want to see myself doing. Come and ask people, like, us at events for advice. Um, and, I mean, we'll probably all tell you the same advice. Pester people, volunteer, go for internships. I, I'm so for internship schemes. The amount of people that work at Universal that have come through the internship scheme is, like, 
30, 40% of yes. the staff. Um, and it's just a great way to meet people at other labels, management companies. You know, some people come to a label and they're like, I don't think this is right for me, but I want to get into live. And by being at the label, they've met live agents and they've approached them and they've got jobs. And yeah, so just talk to everyone and get advice. It can be quite painful if you're, you know, a bit awkward or not sure what to say. I mean, I have been in room networking rooms alone and just thinking, oh, my God, no one's going to talk to me. How am I, I going to go up to people? Yeah. I think my tip would be to, like, try and find a buddy or a like-minded person who you can uh, go to these events with and for like early on um so that you don't feel quite so sort of isolated alone and and it is just practice it's like these guys are kind of saying it's like it feels a little bit awkward at first but people do love talking about themselves and so if you just you know introduce yourself and ask them what they do and ask lots of questions at the end of the day you're there to sort of find out things and, and network people will respond and people do engage and will like talking to you so i think just ask ask away ask lots of questions Sarah, being a presenter, do you find that you get a lot of like messages, like DMs on like Twitter and Instagram, and people asking you advice? Would you say that's like the right way to go about it? Like, just approach whatever platform you can. Yes and no. Okay. Some people, it's hard because I've done exactly the same thing. Because like, obviously, you guys are all London-based, so networking is easy for you. Whereas down here, we don't have like a massive industry to talk to. So. Firstly, in terms of like networking and stuff, I would just say down here, you need to email. You need to email people, be polite, be friendly, be yourself, be very, very specifically yourself. The way you speak, put that in your email because otherwise you just blend into the crowd and it's formulaic and they don't give a toss, basically. But um, in terms of contacting people, try and go through the official channels because I've got 11 inboxes, technically, if you go across all social media and my email accounts and I can't keep up with that. I'm only, I only technically work three days a week and I do my best to answer them, but I get left behind. And like, if people aren't replying to DMs and stuff on Twitter, it's, you can get like, kind of sad about it, but it's mostly because I don't want to work on my personal accounts. Yeah, yeah. It's just that sort of thing. It's just being careful, remembering, like, yes, you might want something from them, but also that's like a person just trying to do their stuff. It's about being friendly but respectful as well and that's how we've all kind of got where we are it's just knowing the line and the tone to take some people can be like one band was messaging me and tagging me in about 30 things a day Ugh. on my personal accounts and i had to message them like love the tenacity firstly that's great secondly please just do it on the actual accounts because I, my phone's blowing up and it's just getting the line they listen, they only do the official ones now, so it's <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's just getting that line and use the internet because it's the biggest democratizer we have. And now I down here can do exactly the same as I would be doing up in London because we have the internet and it's so important to use that. Like the London bubble doesn't need to exist anymore. We can get rid of it. So the thing here is uh, polite pestering. People. Yes. <laughs> polite pestering. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, we're gonna open it to the floor now. Does anyone have any questions they'd like to ask these amazing women? Yes, at the front. Uh, this one's for Amy and Robin in particular. Uh, in terms of sort of the people responsible for sort of music visuals, in terms of videographers, music video directors, photographers, um, how does that kind of work in terms of the labels that are like in-house ones or management companies or production companies? 
Um, I think at Island we've only got a video commissioner um, and then everything else is kind of outsourced so we use a lot of independent videographers. Um, some artists always kind of come in and like have suggestions of maybe people they've worked with in the past. Um, so really just case by case and artist by artist but a lot of the time um, videographers, um, photographers, yeah, they, they're, kind of, they're kind of outsourced. Yeah, I think yeah, we've just got a video commissioner who helps with music videos. Yeah, um, most of, yeah, what Robin said, most of the majors will have a video commissioner in-house. So they'll have a database of editors, producers, videographers, everyone like that. Um, a lot of the independents and the bigger independent labels like Domino and Because Music and places like that, the product manager who is the kind of marketing person that is the middleman or woman, they, they control that. And then independent artists that are completely unsigned, it will generally be the manager or it will be the artist if they're kind of, you know excited about visuals so for example jack james he does it all himself and he puts together the treatments and the storyboards and then he'll go and get a director get a videographer so yeah it's very much case by case um what i would suggest is if you like an artist contact them directly um find out who the manager is find out who the agent is usually on facebook they'll have a contact somewhere in there um because for visuals people want to work with people that are passionate that's the most important thing anybody else got any questions Hi, yeah. um, I know we've touched on sort of learning from your mistakes and criticisms. Um, have any of you ever suffered quite a serious setback in your career, which has completely knocked your confidence? And how did you come back from that? And what steps did you take to rebuild your confidence? Um, I can't think of a specific, specific setback. Oh, I mean, I've had people be like, oh, we don't like your demo, you're not for us. That sort of thing. And, and pitching as well, in terms of writing kind of constantly being told like, not for us, not for us, not for us, and you've worked hard on these pitches, and it's less a big setback, it's more continued setbacks and then how you deal with those. And I, it's, it's the crucial thing is how you deal with them, whether you bounce back. So if I get told I can't do something, I will then apply for 20 more things, and then you're bound to get one, and you keep doing that, and then the odds are you're gonna get something, and it works, and I think it's just kind of doing that, and I guess it's the same with you guys. Yeah, I think I have lots of mini setbacks. And as an independent plugger, quite often, if an artist gets signed to a major, for ease, it just makes sense for them to go in-house. So someone Rob, like Robin will work it. Um, and for me, when I work with an artist from like very, very early on, and then I lose them, it's really upsetting. And sometimes I get inside my own head and I'll be like really paranoid. But talking to people and then going out and finding the next new artist that you can help is the biggest thing and it goes back to the mentor thing that we were talking about and she said so which is a female collective it's a email thread of thousands of women across the globe um, which you can join you don't have to you know apply for it you can just join up they have a mentorship scheme so if you're not already in a big company that does it you can just join the network group apply for it and they'll hook you up with probably someone like us that will contact you once a week on email have a skype with you have a call and we'll just guide you and i think that really helps. <laughs> well, it's helped me. I think it is about that grit and resilience that I was talking about earlier. You know, it's, it's how you deal with the situation. You have to tell yourself that this happens all the time to everybody and, um, and not be knocked down by it. You really do have to just go, right, pull yourself together, evaluate quite pragmatically what went wrong and put some practices in place around how that's not going to happen again. 
and then I think you feel more sort of in control of, of your own destiny and what and what's happening if you can if you can own up to what what happened what went wrong why it went wrong and understand how you're gonna not make that mistake mistake again then that that fills you with confidence to kind of move forward uh, thank you for joining us today fast women panel one more time for the lovely ladies on the panel Thanks for listening to this MTV Breaks podcast. Let us know what career advice you liked best or what you'd like to hear more of using the hashtag MTV Breaks podcast. To catch up on some of the action from Plymouth Music Week, search on social using the hashtag MTV Music Week.